You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and he and those who were with him? how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, but also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. On another, on another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether or not he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he could say to them, Stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. Well, I don't know if you have read the book, Les Miserables, or if you have seen the musical or seen one of the many film adaptations of it. I remember I watched a film first because it was assigned as a book when I was in high school. And then I started to read it. And then someone said, you know, there's a film. And I said, there's a film? And then the entire test was all about things that were different in the book than were in the film. So I did very poorly on it. I did read the book. I have read the book. We've uh, we've seen it live. We've seen the musical. And then there's been a few different movies about it. But there's this... um, uh, There's a big problem in there. Really, it's the heart of the story, is this guy, Jean Valjean, has this moral dilemma because his family doesn't have food... And so to get food, he goes to somebody's house, he breaks a window pane, and he takes the food out to feed people that are hungry. And when you look at that situation, one of the things it does for us is you go, there's a couple competing values here. Think about it like this. If somebody comes to you and says, here's this Jean Valjean guy, what do you think we should do? And you go, what did he do? Well, he broke a window pane, he stole from somebody. Oh, well, there needs to be justice. There needs to be accountability that, that you know, we, we need to have that. And then you go, why did he do that? Well, the reason is, is because he was hungry. And you go, oh my gosh, my heart breaks. And then all of a sudden, what you have is this, a little bit anyway, of a moral dilemma of um, at, at some point, if I'm the judge and arbiter of this thing, would I show some grace to him and figure out another solution? Or is it no, justice must prevail? And it's really, um, it's really two decisions or two values that are starting to collide. And today, one of the things I want you to hear, and I'm going to give you some more examples of this, the value of being accountable versus I need to feed family in hard times. Those are two values that start to collide and start to make it tricky. Um, So often in life's decisions, there is not just one good value to consider, but multiple competing values, really multiple competing good values. Think about this. If I come home and um, uh, Nikki says, how was your time out with your friend? And I say, it really wasn't that great. He He was pretty rude to me. 
and it really, I, I got upset. And so I was rude back to him. Um, she is now, and we talk about it, and then she's now at a point where she has two competing values. One is that she's going, you're my husband, and I just want to say I'm so sorry, and I just want to be compassionate. And then on the other hand, there's a little bit of, you were rude back to him? Like, is she the person in my life that also needs to say, you shouldn't have done that? And that, would, that could actually be a positive thing as well, to say, I want to help you see that what you did was wrong, to open your eyes to it so you can do better next time. And also, right now you're hurting, and so I just want to throw my arms around you. And so you can have two values that are good values that start to compete with each other. And if you think about it, the way we talk about it today in the world is it's all about one value, and that's it. And these are complex matters that our world is dealing with. And all we talk about is the one side of the coin and the one value. Um, I think about, I've got a bunch of examples I was thinking through. Homeschool, private school. We send our kids to a private Christian school. We've been praying and thinking, and that's what we're going to do. And we've got, and, and we're, we're doing that. And there's reasons for it. They're developing a Christian worldview. There's, there's all sorts of reasons. And then the other one is, well, what if they go to public school? Then they're going to learn how to live in the world that they're actually going to graduate and go out and be in. And so you go, well, that's a good value too. And this is a value too. And all of a sudden we get to a point where we go, there's two good values, not just two values that we've invented, but two good potential values. This happens all the time. Think about with your time. Am I going to volunteer at a uh, homeless shelter? That'd be good. Am I going to volunteer at my kid's school, my grandkid's school? That would be a good value as well. There's two decent options that you have. There's two good values. Um, if I step in something here, I sure don't mean to, but I'm thinking about being a politician that's a Christian right now or being in some kind of big leadership role within the nation or the state. And my guess is if you're a Christian and you're also sworn to uphold the Constitution, you have times where maybe individual freedoms and boy, it would be best if these things were God's way may come to rub against each other a little bit. That could be difficult. There's two different values to look through and to wrestle through. What about... Um, Caring for the poor, that's a good value, but if you have to go into debt to do it, is that good or bad? A lot of the issues that we have, think, think about this. During COVID, as a church, we had to make decisions about what do we do. Think about the number of colliding decisions that you have. You have, um, we didn't know what this coronavirus thing was, so, so how do we keep people safe? We have submitting to the government. We have um, uh, God's people need to meet and so that's another value. You have our winning witness to the community and to the world. And so what does it say if we're doing it? Does it feel like we're thumbing our nose? And, and, and how much do we value that? And you have at least four or five or even six colliding values when we, you have to figure out how do we weigh each one. But it's much simpler if we can just go, here's the way to think of it. Just, just bring it down to one value. That's the easy way to do it, and that's really how uh, largely it's done in the world. In fact, I would say this. Some of the angst that we feel right now is because Christians are called to walk that line of understanding that issues are complex, and there might be two good, God-honoring, competing values coming into collision with each other. And there's no other group that's obligated to do that except Christians. The universities don't do that. If you talk to someone who's worked in a university and they've been there for years and years and years, they can tell you the shift that has happened about teaching people multiple sides of issues, teaching them how to think critically, think, teaching them how to engage in dialogue about it versus now just, here's the new thing you're supposed to believe. I look at the news today. 
the news media that's supposed to inform the electorate, so to speak. And, and now what happens? Like there, there's teams and it comes in and here's the value and we know our team and we know our ratings. And so we've got to do that. Uh, social media, you get followers by, by giving one slice, by giving that value. And then so really public conversations have become this largely as well. That instead of saying, can I acknowledge that there's a couple, in some cases, there's some good uh, values that could be spoken for either side on this. And we should talk about how do we actually weigh those. Now, in this is one of the most glorious truths for Christians, which is this explains how God can look upon our sin and say he hates our sin and he is perfectly just and he is angry and has wrath against our sin. And then that's good, justice. And at the same time, we can say God is merciful and gracious and loving towards us. And he can hold those two together. We're going to see Jesus do that here in just a moment as well. Now, let me, I'd be remiss if I didn't say one thing. It would be bad if I communicated somehow that I gave you just the hugest loophole ever that you could walk out of here and think every single issue, there's two valid sides to it as Christians, because that is not the case. Not everything in the world is gray. In fact, someone who says, well, everything in the world is gray and not black and white has just made a very black and white statement about how they see the world, (laughs) right? Um, If I were thinking, you know, just a simple example, if I were to say, um, uh, you know, I'm providing for my family, but uh, I'm gonna be unethical at work and step over the little guy in order to do so. We would all go, okay, that's not like two things you ought to weigh, okay? You can't do that to accomplish that. Or like I'm thinking of, um, this, this actually happened. When I was younger, I remember thinking, I wanna, I wanna at, at, in high school, I wanna minister to these kids. I'd like to get into this group. They're kind of on the outskirts and no one likes them. And all, the, all my good church friends, you know, they were like, those are the bad kids. And I was like, well, I wanna minister to them. And I remember standing over there with them. And you know how I could have um, gotten in good with them? Was to tell racist jokes. Nobody here, I hope, would say, go ahead and do that for the sake of ministering to them. Those are not two equally good values that are competing. It's good to want to go be with them, but there's lines that you draw in order to do that. So what I don't want to do is make it sound like, hey, everything's just kind of gray. Um, There's very clear black and white. But what Jesus is going to do here is he's going to walk through this thing where there are two good competing values, and he's going to process them. And then I want to wrap up with something that in our culture has should be two competing values, and we've taken one out, and we need to put it back. Hopefully this makes sense as we walk along. We'll look at this thing here together. The issue, the first one is Sabbath. Uh, It's the Sabbath day, which you're supposed to keep holy. And then uh, they are also working by picking grain. Look at it. Verse one, it says, on a Sabbath, while he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, which some would consider work on the Sabbath. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? We'll see in a minute, the Pharisees are the morality police. They are just walking around looking for Jesus to make a mistake. And then they're going to pounce on Jesus and ask these public questions and thinks they got him. I can't think of a worse use of your life than watching the perfect one walk around and go, I'm going to see if he messes up. All right, it's going to go badly for you, and you're going to get to the end and realize what a waste. So um, here's what, let me give you a quick history on the Sabbath, because it's very important to understand. Um, when you think of the, um, in astronomy, how, astronomy? Yeah, wait, 
Yeah, astronomy, not astrology. Astronomy, there we go, very different. Astronomy, uh, how do you know that it's been a year? Sun, Earth, right? You can see that. How do you know that it's been, uh, you know, the, the, a month is generally phases of the moon. You have a day, you have the Earth turning on its axis. And then what, is, what does astronomy tell us about a week? It doesn't. It doesn't even, doesn't even divide evenly into 365. Seven days doesn't divide into 365 or 366. Why do we have a week? Well, God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And I would contend, and I did a little digging in this, that this is one of the reasons where, this is one of the things where that came from is that there's stories in other cultures as well of other gods, but they, but they talk about this idea of a week. And what we see from the very beginning in creation is six days God is creating, 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 and then on the seventh day, God rests. He doesn't rest because our omnipotent, all-powerful God needed to catch his breath because ugh, creating everything just took it out of him. What we see throughout the Old Testament, what he's teaching his people and what he's teaching us through that is that it is good to have a day of rest. It is good to have a day of worship. It is, a good, to, it is good to have a day of remembrance. And so all throughout the Old Testament, this idea of, of Shabbat, of a Sabbath, was very important. It's one of, the, one of the Ten Commandments that they're supposed to follow. And over and over and over, you see this idea of the Sabbath every they had Sabbath years where they would say, we're not gonna, we're not gonna um, plant this year. We're gonna let the ground lie fallow. We're gonna let it lay there. They would, have, um, they would have all sorts of rhythms, but the big one was every week they would have sundown, uh, sun, sundown to sundown of rest. And so what's happening is, now I'm, I'm gonna, ironically, I'm gonna get the Pharisees back for just a minute, or at least sympathize with them a little bit. And I hope it's not because if I were in that day, I'd probably be a Pharisee. But let me just explain what they did. They had all those laws. And then if you remember in the Old Testament, it ends and there's these 400 years before our story here today. And so in that time, if you're looking back and now what's happening is people are starting to go, so the Sabbath thing that we're supposed to do, how does that work? Because um, God, hasn't, God hasn't been revealing any uh, sacred scripture during this time. And so these Jewish leaders step in and they go, we need to know. And so what we'll do is we will start to add to the Old Testament. And one of the biggest things that got added to was this understanding of what the Sabbath is. And so they would say, good news, we're here to help everybody. And perhaps we're even some of them well-intentioned to say, let's clarify what the Sabbath is. And so depending on when you look in Jewish history, you can look and you can see when it comes to the Sabbath, you can see different, uh, different rabbis, different strands of thought that say, um, uh, who can you help on the Sabbath? And you can look at different times and it's, you can help anybody and everybody. You can be benevolent towards anybody on the Sabbath. Then you see, oh, that's not true. You're only benevolent to our fellow followers of Yahweh, to fellow Jews on the Sabbath, but not to the Gentiles. And then you can see other people that said, now, wait a minute, the Jews should know the Sabbath is coming. They get their rest. They know that's coming, but the Gentiles don't. So you shouldn't help Jews. You should help Gentiles on the Sabbath. And then there's other streams that just said, you shouldn't help anybody on the Sabbath. You shouldn't do any work at all on the Sabbath. Helping somebody is work, and you are not supposed to do that on the Sabbath. And so depending, this is like ancient Jewish denominations, so to speak, all right? These are leaders that are now coming in and starting to flesh it out and flesh it out in different directions. 
It could have been from a, from a good place to go, what does that mean exactly and how do you apply that in your life? But what happened was now there was this new list of rules that kept changing. They would also have rules. They would talk about um, how much work constitutes work. How far can you walk to help somebody? And there'd be stories of somebody is, you know, someone needs help and you can provide help, but they're a town away and you're not supposed to walk that far on the Sabbath. There's stories of um, if someone was on something that was basically like an ancient crutch and it fell um, and they were capable of getting it on their own, you were not able to reach down and help them pick that back up. They had to they had to go and get down and get it on their own, and you had to stand there and watch. There's re- there were regulations, and they varied wildly over these few hundred years of, um, uh, can you bring food to somebody in need? Which foods? How heavy can it be? How far can you travel? Which kind of people can you actually go and bring food to on the Sabbath? And so there's all these regulations, and it went from this very basic principle of getting a rhythm in your life of a week where you take 24 hours set aside, and you say, this is my recovery This is my, I'm blocking out the world. I am going to worship God and I am not going to work. It went from that to, here's a whole list of rules that you're now supposed to follow. Okay, I can't really help you because you're not on the list. So this is where they are. So what's happening there is now this is coming to a head because Jesus is on the Sabbath. His men are following him and they are on a mission and they stop to pick grain and the Pharisees go, aha, you're not supposed to do that. And now I'm going to skip down a little bit and show you the other example as well. Um, on, in verse 6, it's about healing a man. It says, On another Sabbath, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. Why did they do it? They wanted to see if he was going to heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. Luke puts these two stories back to back and he's saying there's a value of the Sabbath and you are to honor the Sabbath. But they're also working because they're breaking one of these little technicalities. They they need food and they're getting food on the Sabbath. This man could be healed on the Sabbath and the Pharisees are going, you're not supposed to do that. So technically you're breaking a law, but I can help him. See the dilemma that Jesus is in? There's two good competing values. Now, let me tell you why. Um, Let me try and interpret these and say, why do you say that's two good competing values? Is because of the answer that Jesus is going to give. And he tells a story from 1 Samuel 21. There's a story of of, uh, Saul is king, but David is anointed to be God's chosen. And so Saul doesn't dig that. And so he's coming after David. Jonathan warns him and David is fleeing and he is hungry and he's got some men with him. And they go up to the temple. And when they get to the temple, there's a priest named Ahimelech in there. And they go to the temple and he says, we are starving and we need food. And it's the Sabbath and there is food and it is the, um, the bread of presence, the bread of presence, which is supposed to be set aside and only the priests are allowed to eat the bread. And they're only allowed to eat the bread after they've gone through this ritual um, cleansing before God. And so this priest Ahimelech is there and he's going, I have hungry people right in front of me They're not supposed to eat this bread, but this bread would sustain them. It's almost like he's going, either way, I think I'm disobeying God. I either give this bread that's supposed to be holy to these people here that just came in, which I shouldn't do, or 
I send some hungry people away hungry while I have a piece of bread. Jesus answered the Pharisees after they asked him, why are they picking grain on the Sabbath? He says, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat and also gave it to those with him. And he said, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. What is he saying? There's two competing factors here. There's getting people food and there's honoring the Sabbath. Same thing, but the second story, um, when he just healed the man, he knew their thoughts, or I'm sorry, uh, they had challenged him about healing the man. He knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with a withered hand, come and stand here. He like pulls him out so they can see him. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said, I ask you to the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to them, stretch out your hand. I love this. This is what Jesus did. So they're all gathering around going, is he going to heal the guy on the Sabbath? Because I've got a law that says he's not supposed to. And I can say, ah, you're doing something on the Sabbath you're not supposed to do. And Jesus looks and it says he knows their thoughts. And he goes, come here. It plants him right there. Because I picture the Pharisees kind of looking like, I wonder what he's going to do. And Jesus goes, I see you and I know what you're thinking. Come here. And then he puts the question to all of them. Is it lawful to do good, do harm, to save life or destroy it? And he says, stretch out your hand. This is a big showdown between Jesus and the Pharisees. And he's trying to teach them something very important. It says, he did so, the hand was restored. And then, boy, they did not like that. They were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So you see the dilemma Jesus is in. There's two good competing values. You have the priest saying, do I give the food or do I honor the commands of God that this is supposed to be sacred and set apart? Jesus saying they need to eat and they are following me and we're on a mission. That's a good thing. And at the same time, uh, it's the Sabbath. Then there's a man that, I mean, there's, you gotta believe the Pharisees are going, you can heal him tomorrow. And what does Jesus say? He's essentially saying, if I can heal this man 24 hours and give him 24 less hours of this, I'm going to. Come here, buddy. And he gets him out and he heals him in front of everybody. There's two competing values. And in each of those, here's, here's the, the thrust of it. In both instances, it's, I want to worship God. This, this bread is sacred. This day is sacred. But then also, here's somebody in need. What's the greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And in these instances, helping the people in need was an act of worship. We have a lot of times, there's two good God-honoring competing values. And I want to give you one in particular, to, or two, I guess, in particular today. And it really just has to do with how do you schedule your life and structure your life. And the two competing values are work, and rest. Work and rest. My guess is that most people don't need a lesson on hard work. Knowing the congregation, my guess is most people don't need to be told you really need to work hard. I think most of us probably know that, but um, my read is that most of us could use a refresher on rest. Here's what I'm seeing in the world today that when it comes to this idea of should I work or should I rest, work is winning and rest feels weak in our American culture that we have today. And so what happens when we come to this decision of should we work or should we rest, um, 
work generally wins. What I wanna encourage you to do today is to make this idea of work and rest a multi-value decision. Rest is a value, and I don't care how loudly the world screams at us that we shouldn't and that we should just work seven days a week. Rest is something that God has designed for us. Do you know today, because um, Jews today will still uh, respect Shabbat. In fact, um, when we were in Israel, there was the Sabbath elevator, if any of you have been there. And they said, do you want to ride the Sabbath elevator? And I was like, yes, that sounds great. I didn't know what it was. So I was like, I'll do the Sabbath thing. I thought, I hope I'm not like offending anybody or anything, but I thought, yeah, sure. And I went over and I realized what it does is it's programmed on the Sabbath to stop on every floor. So all you do is you step in it and then it goes up a floor, the doors open, goes up another floor, the doors open. Luckily, I was in like a four-story building, so it wasn't like a skyscraper or anything. But the reason behind it is because on the Sabbath, you don't do that. You don't push something and make something mechanical and electrical work. Do you know that they have things that they are called kosher appliances? Have you seen this? Because um, to, to someone who is practicing Sabbath very strictly, if you are in the kitchen and you open up the refrigerator to get something out, um, what they, there's, I just read a whole bunch about this, that uh, the, the warm air rushes in and then the compressor kicks on to cool it off. And so what you just did was you turned on a device. They have ovens that are set. If you know you're going to bake, they have ovens that will just be set to 350 or whatever it is, and they will start right before, it'll get up to heat right before Sabbath starts, and then right when it's over, it'll start cooling down. People take it very, very seriously. And so here, here's the thing. I, I see that, and I immediately go, I, I just don't know how that would work for me. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I could be that rigid even, and, and it is based on more Jewish tradition. But boy, I bet you that they have started to understand this time is sacred and set apart and we rest. There's something built in to them that says this is the rhythm that we have. And even though I'm not advocating we all go get these appliances or anything like that, what I would say, notice the thing that Jesus does say, these are two good values, the Sabbath is a good thing. Resting is a good thing. God has modeled it, and God wants his followers to follow in, their, in his footsteps. Imagine if I were to suggest doing what I just described. All Christians should do that. Like the, and even this, the thought of just saying, find 24 hours a week and turn your phone off and just do nothing. Just sleep in, and if you feel like going on a hike, just go wander on a hike and just, um, just ignore a lot of what's going on in the world. Just refresh and reset your soul. Find 24 hours every week to do that. What just happened in your mind? <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe, depending on your life stage. Yeah, right. And so what happens? When we come to work and rest, it's become one value. It's work work, work. And God says, rest. There's a church in um, Washington, D.C. that I've started listening to some of their podcasts. And um, the pastor there uh, takes this very, very seriously. And he talks about the Lord's Day. That's why we gather here. We talk about coming together on the Lord's Day. And um, he says that in their church, there's a whole podcast on it, that one of the most important values in their church is you gather two times on Sunday. 
You start out the Lord's Day with God's people in worship, and then you end up at a prayer service that night. Excuse me. And he said, the idea is, you, you know, you wake up in worship. That whole day is the Lord's. And so that day you end up with your church family at the end of the day. And I heard that, and that was his premise. And I thought, yeah, right. I thought, there's no way that that works. And I thought, there's no way we'd ever do something like that. And by the end of the, the message, I thought, oh, we so need to do something like that. <laughs> We're not there. But I will tell you, there was something really, really beautiful about it. Waking up in the morning, worshiping God, intentionally having time to just rest and recover, prep for the week ahead, think about the week behind, refocus your heart on God, and then come back that night and gather with God's people and pray, and then you're gone for the week to go for another week. There's something really, really beautiful about that. But you know what my first thought was? <laughs> my first thought was, yeah, right. It's hard enough to say, just come for one hour about, you know, on a Sunday morning. And, then to, and, and they take it very seriously. They will visit with people. This is a mega church too, by the way. They will visit with people and say, this is what we do. If you're a part of the church, we'll see you Sunday morning. We'll see you Sunday night. I have to confess something to you. Um, this week, I feel really odd standing up talking about this. I don't think um, my wife and son will be able to be here. They might be at the late hour, but I don't think so because we have baseball. It's very difficult. Like we live in the real world. And we, we've, we talked about it, we thought about it, not just because I'm the pastor, my family should be here, but we're going, we're trying to spiritually shape what's good for our soul and then also for our kids. And then you go, we've got Sundays and now if your kid wants to play in a sport, Sundays are the day. Remember when you used to not be able to shop much on Sundays because everything was closed? Amen. Not anymore. Can't go to Chick-fil-A, but that's about it. <laughs> Hobby Lobby, I think is the other one. I just said Chick-fil-A. Now everybody wants Chick-fil-A and you can't go. That's what happens. Uh, I also feel uh, this week in particular, I very ironically, um, I'm off Fridays and Saturdays, and Friday I had to pop over to do a couple things, and then yesterday I told Nick, yes, I need to pop over and work on a couple things, and she's, oh, your message, I said, yeah, and she said, what are you preaching on? I said, shh, I don't remember. <laughs> we went to a, a concert, a guy named Matt Carney, and um, we got to sit in, he did a little we paid a little extra and got to talk with them ahead of time. And we sat there and um, no one, it was, it was during COVID. And so, and so everybody canceled. So it was like us and him and like six other people were there and that was it. And so we got to ask a bunch of questions and he just had a new album come out. And, uh, and one of the questions that I think it was a family member of his actually asked was just tell us about how this album came to be. And he said that what he realized he had been doing for so long, and he'd got, he's gotten pretty successful, he has started to go, I have to churn out an album every so often, whatever that was, every year or something. I have to churn out another album. And all of a sudden, what I do is I've got to make money. I've got to keep the label happy. I've got to keep doing this or people will forget about it. And he said the latest album that he did, he just rejected all of that. And he had a buddy that's a painter. And he said, let's just go out to a cabin somewhere. And they went out to a cabin and Matt Carney said he just started writing and he just started playing and he said, I don't, I don't care. I'm not going to judge any of these songs. I'm just going to start doing. The reason I got 
got into this in the first place. And the painter was like, that's a great idea. And the painter would just paint and he's, he's playing and he's sitting there telling this story. And he said, it was the quickest album he's ever written. It's really good. We really, we really like it too. He has a whole story about the power went out for an extended period of time. And he said, it was the greatest thing. And what happened was he said, I went away and I remembered why I got into this in the first place. Friends, we are supposed to have rhythms in our life that can remind us who we are and remind us who God is. We need to value rest. Amen. The, the, um, <clears throat> the point of the Sabbath is not just so you can recover and so you can have a good day. The point of the Sabbath is also this. It is to look forward to Jesus Christ, our ultimate Sabbath rest that we will have with him someday. Jesus is the fulfillment of it in the Old Testament, and it is a foreshadowing of what we have to come. That all the work, all the toil that we have while we're down here, one day in the face of God himself will be gone, and we will rest fully, completely, and eternally in him. Today, value rest. Value rest. And may it point us towards the ultimate rest that we have in Christ.